Hello, and welcome to another great episode of Unstoppable Rise, a resource that helps motivated individuals take advantage of our modern world while avoiding its many pitfalls. Using a combination of, what else, old school wisdom and new breed tactics. My name is Sim, and today... I want to discuss using negative emotions and fears as raw fuel for achievement and accomplishing whatever goals you have in your life. So I want to take that a step further and talk about your core emotions and predominant emotional responses and the role they play in your personal development. You know, something you thought was your biggest obstacle may very well be also, paradoxically, your greatest gift. We all reach a point in our lives where we get to a point of frustration. It may be a rejection. It may be the pain you feel when you ask for a raise and your boss laughs in your face. It may be the pain you feel when you're completely embarrassed in front of a group of people. Whatever the case may be, you get to this point And, you know, it hurts. It hurts a lot. Things cannot simply be what they were any longer. And you simply can't keep accepting the same status quo day in and day out, leading some sort of circular Groundhog Day existence. Different people have a different reaction to these different stimuli. That's just how it is. We're all different. Some people react with fear. Some people react with indignation, so righteous anger. Some people react with shame. Some people react with jealousy. Some people even tune it out and become non-responsive. And I mean, everyone feels these emotions. These emotions aren't alien to the human experience. But, you know, some of these you feel very deeply as if they're right in the core of your soul. And others are very surface while one in particular really winds you up in some way and you get triggered. So I have a saying that if you want to see what type of person someone is, don't send them to Hawaii for three months. Send them to Afghanistan for three months because see what type of person someone is when they are stressed And that's why they call it a stress test, to stress your vitals and see how functional they are. So you're testing pretty much your soul and your your willpower, your energy. And I get some emails from people talking about motivation. And the thing is, they ask, how can I get motivated? I need to get more motivated. What can I do to get motivated? And... I don't talk about motivation. I've written two articles on it, I remember, on Unstoppable Rise. But in terms of it being something to be used in your life continuously, I don't think that's the key of motivation. I think the key of motivation is to create a spark, to create a start for something. And that's what negative motivation, what I call negative motivation, does. You get to a point where you just feel so much pain that things cannot just simply be what they were. So then 
That's how you start. It doesn't teach you how to finish. It teaches you how to start. So that's what we're going to be looking at. One of the biggest barriers to utilizing negative motivation is the fact that there's a lot of things in our world to cover up this pain we feel and create it so that we're neither in a too bad nor not too great state and we're just sort of floating along this meandering existence. On-demand television, clickbait gossip, food stuffed to the brim with, you know, fats and sugars, endless music, endless music, and, of course, sexual things, things of a sexual nature. And overall, these distract from the real work that you really need to do on yourself and get yourself out of whatever hole you find yourself in. You never build up this muscle that just does. You just never, quote-unquote, just do it, you know. You never develop that willingness to do things. And the thing is, when musts remain shoulds, that's when things don't really change that much. So you end up living in this state of sort of apathy and limbo where you don't really experience the pain to move you to the point where enough is enough and you end up resorting to some form of escapism and you do what's comfortable instead of what causes you to grow. And me personally, that really scares the shit out of me because you know you have all of this potential inside of you, but you're not utilizing it and it just becomes wasted. It never gets used towards the benefit of humanity and the people around you. That's a fate worse than death in my opinion, just living this meandering existence for forever. So one example from my own life, um, as a teenager and really as an adolescent, uh, I was a very angry person. And, you know, it wasn't the type of anger that I was a rageaholic yelling at people 24-7 It was just the type of anger where I was just on edge all the time, you know. I used to get into arguments with people all the time for no reason, with friends, with parents, having to get the last word in edgewise, with people who wanted the best for me. You know, I thought everyone was out to get me in some form or fashion. And I really saw the world in these sort of black and white terms. I didn't really have an appreciation for uh, texture or nuance like I do now. And, you know, I also had this insatiable uh, desire for just conquest and just domination. You know, not really caring if there was any collateral damage along the way. And something like this is what helped me be very successful in a number of different areas. Uh, One of them, very minorly, was relating to online video games. Uh, I used to play a lot of video games, and I would frequently just become... I was frequently ranked, like, top in these video games because I just had such an insatiable desire to just conquest. But that's beside the point. 
um, you know, this whole mindset really created a very uh, survivalistic mentality, which definitely helped me uh, earlier on and helped me defend myself and protect others when need arose. And I had a at all cost mindset where I didn't really care what happened just as long as I made it to the end of the day in one piece. And, you know, to be honest, a lot of this was an adolescence period uh, because obviously with adolescence, there's a whole bunch of changes happening, but there was really no differentiation. There was just, there was, there was no, this is puberty versus this is emotional anger. It was all just one big boiling pot of rage, more or less. And the the funny thing is I was never a troublemaker. In fact, I was, I was, I was, I was a good kid, but I didn't need anger management. Um, but the smallest thing someone said against me, I would just overreact. I'll be like, what the fuck? I would, I, I would just, I would just be so, I would just be so affected. And it was, it was ridiculous. I, I, I had some sort of fragile ego and, you know, advancing through my adolescent years, I thought I was a largely defective person. But I felt deep down that this was not who I was, because obviously the child I was was not this person, more or less. And it really affected me because I didn't know what to do. And I just thought I was broken. So many years ago, earlier into my self-development journey, I learned about this thing called the Enneagram. And I want to bring up the Enneagram because I think something like this is an important tool to challenge and use for what I consider quote-unquote negative motivation. In fact, without knowing what drives you at your core, you simply can't use negative motivation. You can't use the pushing away power of negative motivation. You can't use the saying, this is what I want to escape from and I'll do it at all costs if you don't know what you want to escape from. And obviously knowing what you want to escape from at your core is the root of negative motivation, which is very, very powerful if used correctly. Um, So the Enneagram is a personality test with unknown origins, and it's very ancient. There's a lot of difference. It's a synthesis of a lot of different traditions. But basically, it's a test centering around the human ego. And your ego is obviously your conscious mind, and it is one part of your overall psychology. So your ego is how you act day to day. And your ego are formed of emotions that you have unconsciously formed around during a time of development, usually in your early childhood years. As a child, you have no agency of your own, so you rely on people to take care of you. And your caretakers are human, so they will end up failing you in some way. And this is very, very devastating to people, to just the human experience. Knowing that your parents or the people you look up to are, they're not God. They're not godlike. That's just very, very distressing. So to compensate for this failure, your developing ego forms some sort of protective armor around itself to keep outside influences from really penetrating the core of it. And 
This is known as your ego fixation, and it's the default emotion that you turn towards in times of stress or misalignment when you haven't really developed any type of coping skills or diplomatic strategies. You know, there's a lot of uh, spiritual people out there who say you need to transcend the ego, but I don't really think that's the case. I think the ego should be integrated and used as a tool. You know, you have it for a reason, and it's only when you acknowledge the ego's role in your life and you use it as a tool that you can transcend it and integrate it, which is a major part of the work of Carl Gustav Jung, who's obviously the Swiss psychoanalyst resulting, um, who was responsible for a lot of different therapeutic modalities and especially something like Hungian art archetypes. But he is beyond this conversation. So let's get back to the Enneagram. As I said, the goal of the Enneagram is really to be used as a tool to transcend the ego and its numerous fixations and access the light of life's grace and the full spectrum of life and emotional responses. But you can't do that until you develop some sort of backdrop of awareness. You know, even just getting people to be aware of their particular emotions and what's holding them back at any given time and giving them tools and tactics to positively challenge this is really a win. So let's keep it on that level. The Enneagram is known as being the most accurate personality test on the planet due to its level of synthesis of different traditions into one, like I said. And... It's more accurate than MBTI, Myers-Briggs, more accurate than employer test, more accurate than the big five, et cetera, et cetera, because these are what is driving you at a deep level. And, you know, the definition of personality is something that follows you from place to place. It is not really context dependent. It's a way that you habitually act no matter the environment. You know, you may act slightly different at school or work or when working on your business or when you're at a movie theater or wherever, but generally they all revolve around a common core of reactions, and that's what the Enneagram looks at. Now, I'm not an expert on this, but, and you know, this does go very deep, so I'm just going to scratch the surface, and of course, I'll attach more resources in the notes but the Enneagram states that there are nine interconnected personality traits that everyone revolves around that are expressed through the human psyche. And just like there's different shades of red, there's different shades of a personality type. So a personality one, two, et cetera, et cetera. You know, not everyone is the same. You are you, you know, you have your own background, your own experiences and your own upbringing that is unique to you shaping who you are at the core. People aren't uh, carbon copies of one another. And that's what people really get wrong about personality typing. They use it as a caricature instead of a guidance mechanism. So in the Enneagram, there are three emotional triads. Each of them are composed of three numbers. And that triad indicates how those numbers express themselves to the outside world. And that just determines what the number really relies upon as a 
backdrop emotion, just as an easy go-to emotion. So I've taken this test numerous times over the past couple of years due to the urging of numerous people, and I've gotten consistent results. Sometimes I've gotten a five, sometimes a one, but every time, every single time, I've gotten an eight. And an eight on the Enneagram is known as the, I believe it's the challenger. So they're known as being the, I guess, the person who really stands up to things that they don't really see as good. And they're really the uh, person who says things that need to be said. And I've always found that I've been that person because I've just never really feared the outcome of saying things that need to be say need to be said. And every number on the Enneagram has a core emotional benefit that it can use in terms of energy and motivation, but it also has a quote unquote cardinal sin. Um, and for an eight, the cardinal sin that holds it back is lust. And it's not just sexual lust. It's just a lust for just overzealousness, I'd call it. And there's been times where I've gone way too past the mark. And I definitely have had a lust for power or lust for control at times. Because apparently that is the eight's core emotional fear of being controlled. And I definitely say that would be true for me. Um, I've definitely tried to sculpt my life in ways where I lessen outside influence on my life because I just view a lot of people do not have my best interest in mind and just in general, a lot of people just don't have other people's best interests in mind because a lot of people are consciously or unconsciously selfish. So there's my reasoning, my quote unquote reasoning for that. So when you hit on a core fear of whatever number, it will express whatever core emotion it uses to defend itself. And the eight, I believe, is in what is known as the anger triad. So there's other two other numbers, I believe they're nine and one, um, that also use anger as some sort of fuel for uh, just stoking, uh, stoking motivation. And like I said, every, every number on this Enneagram feels anger, but eights, nines, and ones apparently feel it more deeply. And the other two numbers on the triad express anger as well, but they express it in a different way. So for me, how I use negative motivation is whenever I would get angry, I would use it as a way to just spark my desire to achieve certain things. 
when I was, uh, I used to be a very, very thin person. So whenever I would get teased for being skinny, obviously as high school kids do, they tease people. I used that as fuel for just going all out in the gym. And then over time, that motivation proved very useful. But even now, I don't need to use that because it's just a habit and it's just, it's picked up its own momentum. And that's what negative motivation is, to pick up your own momentum in whatever you're doing. And there are many times where positive thinking and positivity just will not fix problems. There will just have to be times where you'll have to use motivation in the form of negative motivation just to get the spark going. An example would be if your doctor tells you, hey, buddy, you better stop smoking or you better put down that Big Mac or else you might not live to see next year. You better, you better sure as hell quit and you will get on the road to quit because putting pretty much the, that doctor pretty much put the fear of God in you. And something like that is negative motivation. And of course, you're going to respond with your instinctual ego variant to that problem. So um, I believe in the Enneagram, they said a majority of people are type six. So a lot of people who are type six tend to express themselves in some form of anxiety and they want to move away from this anxiety. And they I believe their core fear is the fear of being isolated. So they're constantly trying to move from isolation and towards some sort of structure. Um, and then obviously using that as motivation would be um, trying to please people or trying to be socially extroverted to prevent social isolation, which can definitely be a, a good thing, can definitely be a good thing. Um, so you use your unique type's fear as a fuel source from pushing away from the source of whatever is causing that fear. So if you're a type three, I believe their core fear is uh, failure, feeling feeling like a failure and feeling worthless. You will use that fear so you do not fail. You do it, you avoid, you do everything to avoid it at all costs. You project yourself in the future and you ask yourself, if I continue to go in this direction for X amount of days or weeks or months or even years, what will my life look like? So this can be very, very helpful because you're using negative visualization, the stoic technique of negative visualization to propel yourself forward. And this is why a lot of thinkers on life have said you need to meditate on the realities of life. You need to meditate on the fact that you're going to die one day. Marcus Aurelius said that, and Musashi, the great Musashi, great swordsman, great Japanese swordsman, the great Japanese swordsman Musashi, he said that. So you meditate on these things that people like the sweet boy in the shadows, and you use that as leverage to action. 
you need to feel your pain, you know, you need to absorb it constantly and you need to be reminded of what you're deprived of. And this is incredibly, incredibly frustrating. It's incredibly difficult when you don't block out the pain with drugs or substances or consolation prizes, as I call them, this will be very, very distressing. And you want to say, fuck it, I don't want to do this. But Carl Jung said, if you do not make the unconscious conscious, it will continue to direct your life and you will call it fate. And I think that is very, very true. Because people ask themselves, how the fuck did this happen? Then you look back and you say, oh yeah, of course it happened. Because I didn't use that pain I was experiencing as motivation. So you feel this pain and you feel this core fear of yours arise out. And you feel it until you can't take it anymore. And then you come out of it, and then you decide to start running every day. You decide to start jogging. You decide to brush up on your social skills. You read all the books. You do all the workouts. You just, in general, improve your life because you can't take it. You're just like, ah, shit, this is too much. And then you're like, I got to start climbing out of this pit that I'm in. And if you've ever watched The Dark Knight Rises, the scene where... Christian Bale, where Batman, Bruce Wayne, starts climbing out of that pit he's in when he's in that prison. That's what you need to do when you're using negative motivation. You start climbing and you start growing. And this is a key foundation of what I call monk mode. That tool I mentioned for growth and expansion in your life. So what is the end point of embracing your pain and embracing your fears systematically. Well, you'll have a massive edge over people who don't do this indirectly, even though you're not really competing with them. Because most people never truly do face what they're afraid of. They just end up covering them up. But the fact is, you were too busy with your head down to the desk that you didn't even look up to realize you were building an amazing impenetrable castle around you. So by competing with yourself, you end up surpassing others. That's, that's, uh, that's pretty interesting, isn't it? So that's why they always say, don't compare yourself with others. And if you use yourself as the measuring stick to go by, and you see that you're getting better, and you're getting improving day by day, that's all that matters. Because the fact is, everyone has their own path, as cliche as that is, but... You can't use negative motivation if you are comparing yourself to others because it'll just make you feel worse instead of giving you spotlights on what you should make progress on and how you should find solutions. And then at the end of the day, you ask yourself, what am I doing today to make it so that I don't feel this pain any longer? And then you start to advance in that direction. You start to make a module. You start to make a plan. You start to make a start to make goals and you just start to just slowly chip away at them day by day, week by week, month by month. And then you'll find at the end of the year that your life looks completely different than it did at the start of the year. And that's how you use negative motivation to succeed 
And that's how you use negative motivation to make the life that you want. So that's it for this one. Notes and resources of everything we we talked about will be in the notes. So I hope you enjoyed this one. And I hope you'll be able to use negative motivation in some area of your life. Until next time, take care.